All right, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew 5. That's where we're going to land eventually. Matthew 5. We are looking at recovering the lost art of forgiveness. And it is an art. We've said it's a talent, a supernatural talent that God gives to His people. It's a sacred skill that we must learn. And that's what this series is designed to do. But it's also a spiritual discipline we must put into practice. And that's where we're headed today. Today, asking and in the weeks to come, giving forgiveness, the practice of this spiritual discipline. Now, I gave you, because we're moving into another phase in this series, I gave you the four fundamentals of forgiveness. So starting at the bottom, I want you to read those with me. The first one is receiving forgiveness from God. Okay, let's try that once more where we're actually reading together. Receiving forgiveness from God. Second fundamental, being forgiving toward one another. Third fundamental, asking forgiveness from one another and ultimately giving forgiveness to one another. Now, I just want to uh, dive into this and give you a little uh, where, we're, where we've been, where we're going. Now, receiving forgiveness, that first fundamental Receiving forgiveness from God is the foundation or the source of recovering the lost art of forgiveness. It's the foundation or the source, however you want to do it. You can't be what you haven't received. The first thing we want to ask ourselves is the reason I'm struggling with asking and giving forgiveness. Is it because I've never received God's forgiveness? You shouldn't ask from others, hey, forgive me. If you won't receive from God the free gift of forgiveness and you can't give to others what you haven't first received from God. So it's the fundamental. Besides, we are to forgive one another for the same reason in the same manner in which God has forgiven us. So if we have not received and understood how God forgives us, we can't. We simply can't forgive others. And we've talked about in the series, there's a lot of confusion on receiving forgiveness from God. Both Ephesians 4, 32 and Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says that we are to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And the problem is, and it's, 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 it's even hard to understand, but... We have so emphasized the unconditional nature of forgiveness that we've warped, really, how we've received forgiveness. And God does forgive unconditionally, but there is a condition for receiving that. And it's the same way in asking and giving forgiveness for one another. So, that's receiving. But being forgiving, that next level, that next result or fundamental, being forgiving towards others is the heart of recovering the lost art of forgiveness. So if receiving forgiveness is the foundation, being forgiving is the heart. And that's what we've been studying in the last few weeks. So here's why it's, it's the heart of recovering the lost art of forgiveness. Being forgiving in your heart is what gives integrity it's what gives integrity to asking and giving forgiveness. God is not into just mechanical uh, exchange of, will you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive you. And we said the right words. Now that's done. Let's move on. 
No, being forgiving from your heart is what gives integrity. In fact, that's God's standard. In Matthew 18, 35, listen to this, Jesus say, this is what Jesus says. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Man, that's a high standard, but that is the standard. And this being forgiving is the mark of an obedient, regenerate person. It's the mark of someone that's truly born again. They have a forgiving attitude. And that doesn't mean we don't have to work at it. Amen? you got to work at it. But the reality is you've received from God a transformed heart. And it's interesting that when you look at Colossians, well, why don't you turn there? I had you in Matthew 5. But why don't you turn to Colossians 3? Turn to Colossians 3, and I just want you to see how being forgiving precedes asking and giving forgiveness to one another. So look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. And in verse 13 comes the forgiving, but look at what precedes in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, those who have been elect of God, those who are truly God's children and they've been born again, holy and beloved, now put on a heart. There it is. It begins with the heart. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. That's all being forgiving. And please note, that it's only possible because you're born again. But even though you're born again, you've got to work at it. It says put on. It doesn't just say this comes automatically. That somehow I see the love of God and I just naturally start loving people. That's not how it works. It's supernatural, but it's a discipline. It's a discipline. Then he says, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Turn to Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. You see the same idea of being forgiving, preceding, asking and giving forgiveness. So look at Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. And it always involves the heart because that's where God does his first work. It's in the heart, and then it works out into our lives. So look at Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness, that's a heart issue, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you. There's the responsibility. I've got to get involved in this. Along with all malice, then it says, be kind to one another and what? Tender-hearted, tender-hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there you go. The idea of being forgiving is at the heart of recovering this heart. Secondly, being forgiving that we've talked about for the last couple weeks, actually three weeks, being forgiving is what bridges the gap between receiving God's forgiveness and asking and giving it to others. So it bridges the gap. So... Here you are, we need to receive God's forgiveness. And then we're told to uh, ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness to others. And that's a big gap in our lives. So how do you bridge, how do you bridge 
this gap? Well, the thing that bridged this gap is being forgiving from our heart. Does that help? You see what I'm saying? That's what bridges the gap. You've got to receive from God and work on and allow Him to work on your heart to be forgiving so that you have integrity and authenticity in being forg- uh, asking and giving forgiveness. Now, and the result is we are set free so that we can set others free. That's the whole idea. In receiving God's forgiveness, we are set free so that we can begin to set others free. So let's let's dive into it. Recovering the lost art of asking. So here's what we're going to focus on for this morning is the asking part. Because once we've asked for forgiveness from God, we've already seen that you need to continue to ask for His forgiveness and confess sin on an ongoing basis. But uh, related to that and linked to that is asking forgiveness from others. Now, Esther, isn't that fun to sit down and then see somebody from Argentina sitting next to you? You don't even know that. It's like freaks you out. All right, so let's take a look at it. Recovering the lost art of asking for, give, for forgiveness. I love this. What, when we're moving into this area, moving into this idea of asking and giving, this whole area that we're moving into now, I love this quote from Ruth Graham. Every healthy relationship is made up of two good forgivers. Amen? Can you, can you attest to that? That is exactly right. Now, so here we're going to do. We're going to ask three questions. Why do I need to ask forgiveness? When do I need to ask forgiveness? And how do I do it? All right? You ready? Let's dive in. Why do I need to ask for forgiveness? Two reasons. Two fundamental reasons. Number one, to be set free from the debt that we owe others when we sin against them to be set free in this series we've talked about how forgiveness is defined scripturally as the cancellation of a debt that we owe due to doing someone wrong sinning against them offending them and so in matthew 18 uh once you turn there matthew 18 26 through 27 matthew 18 26 through 27 we see the this is probably like the classic verse in the new testament on the reason we ask for forgiveness is to be set free from the debt that we owe to others matthew 18 verses 26 through 27 in fact you're going to see matthew 18 is the chapter in the new testament lays out almost all the principles of forgiveness But let's look at verse 26. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, face down, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. You may want to circle repay. See, there's something that's owed. There's a debt that is owed. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion. There's the idea of being forgiving. It starts in the heart. Being forgiving, felt compassion, and released him. Why? Because you're in bondage to those you owe. He releases him and forgave him the debt. Literally, the Greek there is cancel. Cancel the debt. That's the essence. That's why we need to ask. Listen, until we ask and are given forgiveness, there's, an, oh, there's, a, there's, a, 
a bond and, and, and a completion. Now, I almost brought handcuffs today, and I was going to handcuff me, uh, myself to someone, but I just wasn't brave enough on the key actually working. And so I did not do that. Because here, the reality is, uh, when, when, when I am in debt to someone, I mean, I'm handcuffed to them, and so everywhere I go, I'm dragging them with me. I'm dragging them with me. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful word? Pick? Yeah, but I, I just wasn't ready to do that. Um, I couldn't imagine any of you wanting to stand up up here for the rest of the you know the rest of the lesson. And then if my wife was you know it didn't work with my wife, so I was gonna you know, I should have used you, Sam. That had been a good thing. You just, uh, I'm sure you are. That's the way I thought most people would be. But you know you think about it. If you go and, and you're and you're single and you're about to get married and you have you have all this baggage, you're bringing those people up to the altar. Hey, I, I gotta go get married. Come on, come with me. Okay. When you go to work or interview for a job or interact with a boss, you're bringing all that bondage with you. Well, we want to be set free from that. Amen. Yeah. So number two, though, just as important, in fact, more important, we need to ask forgiveness to be set free to worship God without his chastisement and with a clear conscience. And so here's where we want to go. So turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, classic passage on this. We know it maybe with our heads. We're familiar with it. But is this really how we practice? Is this the priority of our lives? Look at Matthew 5, 23 through 26. Again, right from our Lord. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Oops, I got the handcuffs. I'm linked to him. I owe him or her, leave your offering there before the altar and go. You know, we think of the go of the Great Commission. Well, this is the go of asking forgiveness. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, when Jesus says those words, sit up and pay attention. You will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. The image is a debtor's prison. Why? Because we need to be set free. And God says, look, basically Jesus is saying the Lord doesn't want us to come to him and worship before him when we still are at odds with our brothers and sisters. How important is this? Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about worship in the congregation. So we've gone kind of from a temple picture of the Gospels to the church uh, uh, gathering, the assembly, just as we are here. And it's the context of the Lord's Supper. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 17, verse 17. He says this, But in giving this instruction... I do not praise you, church at Corinth, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, there's a lot I could deal with here, he's saying. But the first thing, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions. So there's relational conflict, there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's jealousy, there's strife. 
And it's not good. Why? Because they're coming together to take the Lord's Supper. And what does the Lord's Supper symbolize and mean? It means we are one in Christ. Yet we're coming together and we're like, well, I don't want to sit by her. Or I, I, you know, I'm still mad at him. And he's saying, look, there's a divide between what the Lord's Supper means and what the body of Christ should look like and what's actually happening. Drop down to verse 27. How important is this? Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Wow. But a man or a woman must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. In other words, they have been taken home. They're dead. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Man, that's pretty serious stuff. And basically what he's saying is, look, this is so serious with God that he'll take a believer home early because of continually worshiping in the context of the local church with unresolved conflicts, an unforgiving heart, a bitter heart. Wow. Okay. It all comes back to Psalms 51. Listen to this. For you do not delight... Lord, in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. A forgiving heart. So, why do we need to ask forgiveness? To be set free from the debt that I owe others because I've sinned against them. But to be set free from the debt I owe God, because ultimately in sinning against others, I've sinned against who? God. And he takes note of that. We need to ask for forgiveness to restore fellowship in order to enjoy unhindered worship. Our worship is the overflow of our fellowship with one another. And when that fellowship is broken due to a lack of forgiveness then our worship of God is interrupted. Pretty important reason to do this. Amen? And listen, we all know this is hard. And you need, I need this kind of motivation in order to do it. Because you need something higher than yourself in order to put this into practice. It's really that simple. Number two, when do I ask for forgiveness? When do I do this? As soon, two, two, two principles here. One, as soon as you're personally convicted or conscious of the event, of the offense. As soon as you're personally convicted or conscious of the offense. I like what he says in Matthew 5 because I can relate to it. You come in, you're coming before the Lord to worship and then you remember. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember I have this conflict. Because we bury these things. We forget these things. We're, we're heart of heart. And so here's the principle. How soon? Uh, do it before going to bed. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. Most of us are familiar with that passage. Don't, go to, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil opportunity. So how important is this? When do I do it? 
I do it as soon as possible. Don't go to bed angry. Bitterness gives the devil a beachhead for doing his dirty work in our heart and life. He works in the dark. He works even while we're asleep. Don't do this. And a great way to put this principle into practice if you're married is pray with your spouse before going to bed because it helps. Uh, It's hard to pray with someone you're angry at, right? Okay? Now, it might be an angry type of prayer time together, but at least you're... You're, 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 you're settling that. So that's something to think about. So before going to bed, number two, before going to God, before going to God. And we've already saw that principle in Matthew 5. I mean, it's literally like you're coming to church and you're sitting in church. All of a sudden this hits you and he's like, hey, just stop right there. Get up, go and make it right. Now, is he saying literally do that? Well, maybe sometimes we need to do that. I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you no. But the idea is priority and urgency. This, and I don't, if you're, you, do you, anybody here ever put off difficult things? Anybody? Okay. Anybody have that tendency or is it just me? Yeah. We put off difficult things. And God knows that. And he's saying, look, don't put this off. Don't prolong this. Number three, before doing anything else. That's the principle. When do I, when do I ask forgiveness? As soon as I'm conscious of it, as soon as I'm convicted of it, go and do it. The issue is priority and urgency. In fact, uh, going back to that one principle, going to God, uh, the Lord's Prayer says, Father, forgive us our debts just as we have forgiven others. In other words, we're not to be going to God even and asking Him to forgive us without a commitment to doing this. But there's a second principle here. When do I ask? As soon as you are personally confronted about a legitimate offense. As soon as you are personally confronted. Because here's the fact. There's basically three ways we become aware of this need to ask. First is conscience, right? We're there worshiping. Second is conviction that comes from God, often through a church service or in worship. And the third is confrontation. Remember the example of David? Now, David, his conscience tormented him for a year. He was convicted by the Lord, but it still took the confrontation of the prophet Nathan for him to break, confess, and be restored. All right? So it takes involvement. Sometimes it takes involvement. Listen to two verses, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him your fault, show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So what do we do? What do we need to do when people confront? What does Jesus say? Listen, listen, hear, listen to what God might be saying through them. And even if, as we're going to talk about, even if they're basically wrong in what they're saying, Always look for the 1%. There's always something to be heard from a confrontation, even if they're like totally off. And sometimes people are. But there's always that 1%. Listen to Luke 17, 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So when we're confronted, we listen. And then when it's legitimate, we do what? We repent. 
So that's what we're to do. So when do I... When do we ask forgiveness? When we're confronted, we've listened, and we see, indeed, I need to repent and ask you uh, for forgiveness. Now, I do have in here a legitimate offense. Why? Because not every perceived offense that you're confronted on is a real legitimate offense. Okay? Just because somebody confronts you and says, hey, you know, I, you sinned in this way or you did that, that, that's not always true. There's some people who that's kind of their calling in life to take up the offenses of others. And that's really a second way in which an offense may not be legitimate. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. You know, I'm confronting you because I think Joe was really offended when you said that. Well, when that happens to me, I say, well, thank you for bringing that up and I'll get with Joe. But I don't ask them for forgiveness immediately because I'm not sure, you know, first of all, you're taking up an offense of someone else. Maybe Joe's not even offended by that. All right. Yeah, you listen. You put value on what they're saying, but you have to weigh it out. And you've got to be careful here. Uh, We don't want to easily or quickly dismiss those who confront us. Sometimes the best thing to do when this happens and you're not sure it's true, a true offense is just say, hey, could you give me time to process that? Could you give me time to pray through that? And I'll get back with you or you come back to me if I don't get back with you in time. Let me think about that. The last thing you want to do is immediately ask forgiveness for things that, one, in your heart, you're not even convicted of. That's not what we're aiming for, Okay. You know, I'll say anything to make this person go away. That's not the goal. So other times, it's best to sincerely, sincerely say, I did not intend to offend you, but I don't agree with you that that was a sin. But hey, I want to work on our relationship. I don't, want to, I don't want this to happen again. But, you know, I'll have to say, you know what? I don't think that's as wrong as you're making it out to be. But I value you coming. You put value on them and you talk through it. Other times... You need to be a Job, and you just need to take a stand and say, you know what, I know you're coming, you're telling me that I'm wrong, but I haven't sinned, and I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. That's Job's three friends came and kept telling him, you've sinned, you've sinned, confess, confess. And he just stood and he said, hey, look, I'm not going to do that, because in my heart, I know that I have it. And he was right, and guess what they had to do in the end? They had to go and ask Job for forgiveness in the end. And so those things do happen. So when do we ask? As soon as your conscience, as soon as God convicts, as soon as you're confronted with a legitimate. Now, that brings up, how do I do it? Are you ready? Okay. Here's how not to do it, and here's how I think is a biblical way to do it. First of all, don't use the world world's easy substitute for biblical forgiveness. And that is what? The apology. The apology, the I am, I'm sorry. Do not use that. Don't go. Apology comes from the Greek word apologia, which is a defense. When we use the apology, too often we are really defending ourselves rather than asking forgiveness. All right? And that's not, it's not always the case. Again, we're looking at the heart more than the actual words. But 
You know, all I'm saying is this. I know that when I'm in the wrong and I need to talk to someone, it's a whole lot easier to say I'm sorry and move on than it is to say what I'm about to teach you. Okay, that tells me, at least for me in my heart, there's a difference in the words that you use. So here's how the typical world's way of saying I'm sorry if I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, maybe here's what's here's five shortcomings. So if you're going to insist on using this, we'll just understand there's five shortcomings. When you just say I'm sorry for what I did, number one, the offender has only expressed how he or she feels. I'm sorry is basically a feeling-based statement. It speaks more about the offender and their feelings than the wrong and the offense that was done to you. Okay, So it's more feeling-based, which our society loves. Number two, the offender has not confessed the wrong. I'm sorry is not a confession. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's basically a statement of regret. I'm sorry... You are so weak to be bothered by this. I'm sorry you're such a whiner. (laughs) I'm sorry you're making such a big thing about this. I'm sorry you caught me and are calling on me. We don't know. I'm not saying that's automatically what they mean, but let's be honest. A lot of times when we use these words, that's really what we're thinking. I'm sorry. This is, a, you know, especially if you're a non-confrontational person. I am sorry. I am sorry. It makes no statement about what has happened, what did happen. What's that a statement about? That this is happening and I don't like this. Okay, so something to think about. Number three, another shortcoming is the offender has not asked for his guilt or her guilt to be lifted. The offender has not asked anything. Because so here's what happens. Somebody, let's, let's take the, the component of somebody confronts you or me, and then you say, I'm sorry. Well, there's this real awkwardness. Now what do we do? Do we have a love fest? Do we just hug on each other? What, what, what do we do? Well, typically, what ha- well, 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 we'll wait. Anyway, it's just nothing's been asked for, and there, therefore nothing can be given. Forgiveness isn't given if, if it's not asked for, okay? Um, number three, number four, the offended has not promised to never remember the offense. I'm sorry. The offended is supposed to make a promise of not bringing this up, but you haven't been asked anything. So you're not really giving it and you're not making a promise. And there's just this big, really, you're no better than what you were before. Just some words have been said. It doesn't give the offender any assurance that his apology has been heard, received, or whether forgiveness has actually been given. There's no verbal... When you you say, I'm sorry, and don't ask for anything, there's no opportunity for the person to assure you that you have been forgiven. And there's no opportunity for them to be reminded, I'm promising to drop this. Number five. The offended has been pressured to minimize or condone the offense. Pressured. And if not pressured, then, you know, that may be too strong a word, but there is that aspect. Because typically when someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry, what do we typically say? That's okay. 
Well, you know, or or it was nothing. I mean, we tend to minimize. We feel pressure because because it's not the exchange is not going in a way that sets people free. I'm sorry. Oh, don't worry about it. And inside, you're, you, you know, you were raging about it a moment ago. They say you're sorry. They say they're sorry, and it's like, ah, oh, that's okay. Well, inside, often it's not okay. All right. So, what should we do instead? Here's the alternative: make a biblical request. So, instead of the apology, don't do this. Make the request. Actually, ask for forgiveness. Make a request. And just as this had five shortcomings, this has five uh, essentials that are included. And here's how I would here here's how we practice it. This is how we have taught it in our home. And I think this reflects the biblical idea. I have sinned, or I was wrong by, and then you fill in the blank of what it is, and then you ask, "Will you forgive me?" Now, those are the three basic components. Now, here's the essentials. Number one, by saying I have sinned or I was wrong, the offender has taken responsibility for his actions. He's taken responsibility for his actions or attitude. Number two, the offender has confessed his sin. I have sinned by being specific and naming the sin makes it clear that we're actually confessing our sin or our wrong against that person. Number three, the offender has implied a decision to repent of the sin. Now, it's an implication, but as I said earlier, if I have the option between saying I'm sorry and I was wrong in doing specific this, will you forgive me? If I have the option... I know what I'm taking every time. Because saying I'm sorry is far less. This, if you're a true believer, you know that when you say these words, you need to mean them. And it's humbling. It's just humbling. And it begins that process of repentance. Number four, the offender has humbly recognized his indebtedness, the debt that he owes to the one he offended. Why? Will you forgive me? Which is basically saying this. Will you release me? I am in your debt. And basically I'm waiting for your release. Number five, the offended has been faced with the responsibility to release the person and make the promise. And this is the beauty of it. The biblical principle for believers, anyway, is forgive one another. And when you do the apology and just say, I'm sorry, okay, nothing's happening. But when you say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Picture uh, uh, having a basketball and basically you have the ball. And when you say, will you forgive me, you're tossing the ball to them. Now the ball's in their court. And now they have the opportunity and the responsibility to humble themselves and say, I forgive you. Because if there's anything harder than asking for for forgiveness, what is it? Giving it. Giving it. All right? 
And so both people are now there. Now I have the responsibility to say, I do forgive you. And I make the promise not to bring it up. So notice what it says. The goal is for our words to match our heart. That's the point. The goal is for our words. And so the, 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 the four things. Identify the offense. Take full responsibility for the offense. Reflect sincere repentance and humility. And request the gift of forgiveness. So let's evaluate these. Okay, so let's evaluate these. What are the weaknesses in these statements? I was wrong, but so were you. Blame shifting. And is that taking full responsibility for what you do? No. I'm sorry about it, but it wasn't really my fault. Doesn't take full responsibility. I apologize. Lacks all four essentials and really doesn't make, the re- doesn't make a request. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. What, what's with that? Doesn't do what? What? Weaknesses? Or is that okay? Is that okay? No, basically you're saying you're too weak to handle who I am. Yeah. Yeah, you could be saying that, and if I hurt you, you're, you're not admitting that anything has taken place. If I've been wrong, please forgive me. That sounds very much like the request, but what's the key word that needs to be if? I'm sorry about what happened. Will you forgive me? No identify. So, well, what happened? You know, your perception and their perception may be different. You need to talk about it. You need to identify All right. So I hope that helps you. Now, here's the last and we'll hit these quickly. Pray over and apply the eight A's of asking forgiveness. And believe it or not, I did not alliterate these. Uh, The guy that came up with them did. And I've adapted them because here's the idea. Please don't leave here today. The idea is not to legalistically analyze words in statements. Okay. Or, you know, it's, it, on our side, if you're asking forgiveness, don't think, well, if I say it the right way, then I'm, I'm off the hook. Okay, the idea is your heart. Secondly, if someone's asking you forgiveness, don't take out this lesson and analyze, well, you know what, I think you're missing this essential right here. Okay, so that's not the idea. Because there's all sorts of ways that people ask forgiveness in the Bible, and they don't always use these exact words. That's not the point. The point is cover these essentials and i think these eight essentials will help you okay so let's take a look at it uh the first and this this kind of it's just tying up everything that we've said first one is address everyone involved when you're asking forgiveness when you're confessing sin address everyone involved and the first person to address is who god confess your sin to him get it right with him so that when you go You will have the right heart with others. Second, uh, in that address, the person or persons directly involved. And in that, remember this principle. Go as public with the confession as you did with your sin. Go as private with the confession as you did with your sin. So, uh, in other words, I don't come up here and Lord knows I don't want Gwen coming up here and confessing our sins 
to you that happen in our home. That, that's, no. What's private stays private. What's personal stays personal. What is public. So you may have to ask forgiveness, not only the person you sinned against, but the people who were present and saw it happen. Make sense? And then realize this, that if you hold a leadership position in our church, us as pastors, leadership council, teachers, that when we sin, we have a greater responsibility to go more public with our sin because of our responsibility. Make sense? 2 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. We have a higher level of accusation, but there's a higher level of confession. So that's the first day. Address everyone involved. Number two, avoid... If, but, and maybe. So, whatever you say, avoid if, but, and maybe. As uh, Jim pointed out earlier, the if, when you put if I've done something, it kind of discounts that person. If you say the right words and then put a but at the end, you basically negated everything you said before the but. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? But, save the, now, there might be a but that we need to talk about, but talk about the but later. Are you with me? Separate them. Separate them. Uh, number three, third A in asking, admit specifically. Specificity increases sincerity. We sin in the concrete, not in the abstract. So be as concrete as your sin was. In other words, if you're going to go to your child and say, I have failed at you as a parent, will you forgive me? Okay? Don't just say it. Be specific. Hey, I, I really let you down when I didn't show up for this event and I said I would. I really crossed the line when I disciplined you in anger. I... Forgive me for yelling at you. I should exercise more spirit-controlled fruit in even when I'm even when you've done something wrong and it really makes me angry. I should have more self-control. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Be clear about what you did. I mean, hey, I I, I was wrong to hurt you. Will you forgive me? Say why you how you hurt them. Explain how your sin impacted them. All right? Does that help? Number four, fourth A, acknowledge their hurt. The fourth A is acknowledge their hurt. We haven't really dealt with this one. And so this is often the key to any future hope of reconciliation. Acknowledging the hurt means expressing your sorrow for the way your sin has made life hard for the other person or hurt them. So acknowledging their hurt means... That, that's basically what people want to know. If you've hurt them, they want to know what? That you know that you have hurt them. How has my sin embarrassed, injured, or provoked this person? And the sorrow that you're expressing is focused on the other person, not on, I really feel bad that I got caught. Or... I'm very frustrated that I have to do this right now. It's not about your feelings. Feel their hurt. Communicate your regret. Is that good? And sometimes, and, and this is something that I, 
learn is that when people are confronting you, one of the ways that they share their hurt is getting it all out. So sometimes when people confront, we want to immediately interrupt them and say, you're right, I was wrong, and we cut them off. <coughs> and that's not the thing to do. You've got to let them get it out. In fact, what I will do is you've got to discipline yourself because a lot of things are going on in your heart and mind. And, and, and often people don't confront in the most godly of ways. Okay? But that's not the time to deal with that. So let them get it out. And when they have wound down, I often say, is there anything more? Is there anything more? And you know what? Sometimes we go for another round, and they pour it out. And when they're done again, is there anything else you need to say? And that's allowing them to get that hurt out of their heart, okay? And it's giving you the opportunity to hear their heart before you... Um, ask for forgiveness. Number five, accept consequences. Accept consequences. This is the fruit of repentance. A really repentant person is willing to accept the consequences of their sin. And we can't study these out, but there's three categories. One, making payments. Sometimes we need to pay back some if we stole. Two, losing privileges. Uh, just because we've asked forgiveness doesn't mean that we get all the... Sometimes we forfeited privileges. Um, David, King David, literally lost the life of his son that he had with Bathsheba as a consequence of his sin. And number three, missing out with people. Uh, Proverbs eighteen nineteen says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. Sometimes you lose the relationship, and you just have to accept those kind. You're given forgiveness, but you lose out on people. Number six, align your heart to alter your behavior. Align your heart to alter your behavior. That's where active repentance comes in. So it's more than just saying, hey, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? We need to have a plan to not do it again. Does that make sense? So you need to have a plan to not do it again. And please understand this, that when someone repents, repentance doesn't mean you'll never do it again or we'd all be in trouble, right? Repentance doesn't mean that you may not do it again very soon. (laughs) And repentance doesn't mean that you may not do it again more than once very soon. Jesus said if someone sins, repents, and asks forgiveness... Seven times in one day, we still need to forgive them. So we got to balance that. On the other hand, we're never going to sin less without a plan. And so I gave you a little bit. Uh, we need to first align our heart, and then we alter the pattern of my life so I sin less and less. And third, I need to have an ally. I need to have someone to help me not do this again. Number seven, ask for forgiveness and allow time. You're finally at the point of asking. Those other six help you have the right attitude. Are you with me? And then you got to wait because they may not be, just like it took you time to come and ask, it may, they, may take them time to grant it. So you're, remember, will you forgive me? You don't have any demands. You know, the wrong heart attitude says, will you forgive me? And you have to. God says so. Okay. 
Well, maybe so, but that's not your place to say that. You're not in a place to teach them how to forgive. You just need to wait and allow time. Number eight, accept their forgiveness with a thankful heart. Just as you've asked, they get to reply and say, yes, I forgive you. And I've had this circumstance where I asked forgiveness. I was given it. And sometimes, just like with God, you ask once, but you have to repeatedly remind yourself, I have been forgiven. Now, here's the beauty. When you ask and they've said it, you have something to go back to and remember. But when you don't do this process, it's fuzzy, you're unsure, and you're guilt-ridden. And it can mess you up for a long time. Remember, just because you accept their forgiveness, that doesn't mean that you're still going to be friends. It doesn't mean that you may still work together. It doesn't mean that they're going to, they may never trust you again. But we do have the responsibility to give forgiveness. Are you with me? Wow. So, what's the application today? What's the application? Go. Go and do what? I want to hear you. Go and ask forgiveness. Go. Be urgent about it. Make it a priority. Go and ask. That's the application today. That's the takeaway. And go and ask in a way that owns your sin and takes responsibility for it. Amen? This is good stuff. Teach it to your kids. Teach it to your grandkids. Practice it in your marriage. Practice it in your home. And most of all, we need to practice it in our church. Are we going to be perfect at it? No. But that's why it's a discipline. We've got, we got to practice it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come. And Lord, I know that's a, a lot in there. But, boy, it's proven in life. It's proven in your word. It's proven in life. Lord, help us to be a people who go and reconcile go and ask forgiveness go with a heart that is humbled and contrite and broken before you and then lord as we learn next week may we freely give that which we've received from you may we be known as a community a body assembly that gives and asks and receives forgiveness in jesus name amen Be set free and set someone free this week.